Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Best Deal episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about the legendary best deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person executing it. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor possible. And welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Smith, owner of Royal Legal Solutions. Uh, we are an asset protection law firm based out of Austin, Texas, helping people all over the country with the real estate asset protection. And today I am with Josh. Um, we're going to be talking about Josh's best deal uh, here today. So Josh, thanks for coming on the show. Um, what, do, uh, what do we need to learn about you today to help set us up for, for your story and your best deal? Yeah, so uh, I am a real estate investor. I have 15 different properties right now. Uh, I'm also a CPA. I have a CPA firm I founded called CPM Fire. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess uh, that those kind of linked together. I use the, the numbers I use as a CPA to kind of structure my, my real estate deals. That's awesome, man. How, how, how long did it take you to get up to 15 properties? Yeah, so we'll we'll talk about this in my best deal, but uh, I had two properties, and then I just did a deal about six months ago for thirteen different properties. So wow, it awesome. uh, jumped quickly. Yeah, man, um, that's great. So I guess let's yeah, let's jump into the deal. What what is that from like ten thousand feet up? What does that best deal look like? Yeah, so I I was actually just looking at a triplex, um, and you got to understand I'm in the Midwest, like rural part of the Midwest. Uh, properties are cheap. Um, and I was looking at a triplex that was like $40,000 and another agent at the real estate agency I was working with said, Hey, if you're interested in some investment properties, I have some, are you interested in more than one? I said, what do you got? So he ran me through it. He had about 20 different properties and we kind of zeroed in on 13 I was interested in and we ended up structuring it so that he would provide a little over 90% of the financing. Uh, so was able to get those, get all 13 at once, have owner financing for 90% of it. And then I was able to get it at such a good price. I was pretty confident that I had a lot of equity in it that I just took out another loan for the other 10%. So got into the 13 properties with, with none of my actual money, which was nice. Oh, it's awesome, man. Uh, it sounds like a the great mix for a good deal. You got some owner financing, low down payment. Those are always great, uh, great, great little fundamental factors in there. Yeah. Um, so how does that, you know, can you take us back to the genesis of this deal? Like, how do you even find that guy? How does that relationship even come about? Yeah. So I, I'm, it's from my hometown. Uh, I grew up there. So it was someone that I, I knew growing up. He was friends with my parents. Um, so in, he, like I said, he was an agent at the firm that was helping me try and buy this triplex. And he heard I was trying to buy that. So he reached out to me and said, Hey, are you interested in more than that? I have more properties. And then we just kind of met up a few times and got to talking and, and, uh, he made an offer out for me. I thought it, I could get it for significantly better. So we made, went back and forth a little bit and ended up structuring the deal that way. Can you, can you tell, share with me about like how you, I mean, that seems like a pretty big yeah. trust factor that comes into to meeting somebody like that kind of just randomly reaching out to you. It's almost like a cold call in a way, right? Like, you know, yeah. I know you're interested in this, would you like even more? Right. Um, how, how does that, how do you interpret that? Like as an, an investor into that, like what worked well for you in that scenario or not? You know what I mean? Cause it could kind of throw me off or probably a lot of the people off to have somebody reach out to you like that. But if you would have gotten spooked just by that, you would have lost out on the best deal. Right. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it was uh, quite a leap to go from looking at a triplex to someone offering you 20 something properties and eventually getting it down to 13. Um, it definitely helped that I had somewhat of a relationship in the past with him. 
Um, it wasn't just some random person coming out of nowhere. I'd, it'd probably been 10 years or more since I talked to him. So it was a little bit out of the blue. Um, but by having that prior relationship helped, it's in my hometown. So I know the area well, so I could, I could really look at the properties and know just by, I could look at the street and know exactly where it was, if it was a good area, a bad area. So I'd say being familiar with it was definitely a, a big, big part of it. Um, I, I, my off, off counter offer to him was about a hundred thousand less than he offered me. So, um, I think having a little bit of a relationship with him made me, I get in some ways it made me more confident to make that in some ways it made me more hesitant, you know, because it's in some ways it's a little easier when you don't know someone to, to kind of lowball them on an offer. Whereas it's someone, you know, you don't, you don't want to piss them off a little bit. So, um, yeah, and there, there's pluses and minuses to, to having a prior relationship with them, I would say. How did you decide on like what the counter offer would be? Was it purely like fact-based? Like this is the numbers, here's the way I run it. Like, is that your objective criteria that you use when you're negotiating that piece with them or, or something else? Yeah. So this, I thought I, I, this part I think was huge in getting this done. Um, this is where my, my work as a CPA came in. I went into my second meeting with him. So it was 13 properties. He offered it. He wanted me to pay like 460 and I came back at, I wanted to pay, 330 is what it was. Okay. So I offered him 130,000 less. And I came in with this giant binder. I had every single property I wanted laid out. I went on to bigger pockets, ran the numbers on every single property. So this is what I anticipate cash flow being. I went and looked at every comparable property I could find, put it in this binder so that I could break it down by property and say, okay, you wanted 50,000 for this property. Here's why I think it's worth 34,000. We went back and forth and by the time it was done, he, he really couldn't put up too much of an argument because of the research I had put in there. So he, he counter offered, I think the, 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 his final was he wanted 341 instead of my offer of 330. And at that point it was close enough that I said, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's go with it. Okay. And, and in turn, so you end up negotiating the, of course, the, the purchase price down with that. Yep. You did some research on bigger pockets as part of your due diligence, running the numbers, yep. big thick binder showing people that, Hey, you know, these are my bullets basically, right? Like yep. uh, you can take this back to your investors and say, Hey, this is actually what it's actually worth. Um, so you arm him up with other tools that he can yep. take back to help bully them down on the price, get them working for you in that way. Right. Um, and then, so when you start looking at going forward in the deal itself, um, how does that process work? So you guys, you know, went through the initial pieces of, you know, getting the numbers straight. Um, then you guys break, and then when's the next time that you guys see each other? What's the next communication? Yeah. And so these were his properties. So he didn't have to, it was his final call. Um, so he didn't have to run gotcha. by any other owners or anything. Um, okay. So the, the next piece was, was convincing him to do the owner, owner financing on it and, and for a little less than 10% down. Uh, so I, I came into that meeting and basically structured it as, I, well, I, I, I kind of tried to take away every objection I thought he would have. So I brought my own tax return with him me so I could say, look, I make this amount of income. You know, I have income coming in. I brought my printed out my credit score. Said, here's my credit score. Um, I I tried to go into the meeting with. I, I tried to think, all right, what's he going to say when I present this? What's he going to say when I present this? And I had to, tried to have an, a counter argument ready to go for everything that he would have, and it, it seemed to work pretty well. Like for instance, I might I, before he could even object to the owner financing, I'm going to bring up, well, this is actually going to help you out on your taxes a little bit because you're not going to pay three hundred forty thousand dollars in capital gains. On, on, on capital gains on the 340,000 right from the start, you're going to spread it out over five years or 10 years or whatever we want. And then he'd say, well, in my, my proposal was I'll, I'll get these refinanced over two, within two years, but I want to amortize over 10 years. So my payment's not too high. 
right? So his was his argument back. I knew it was going to be well. What if you don't get it? Don't get it refinanced in two years. So I had this laid out. So after two years, if I don't have it refinanced, I'm going to give you a twenty thousand dollar additional payment on principal, and the interest rate's going to go up. And if in two more years I don't have it paid off, the interest rate's going to go up again. So I think the key was I just went in there with every objection he could have. I had an answer for it. So by the time it was done, he could really say, you know what? I don't have anything else to say. This deal makes sense. Did you have anybody else coaching you through that? I mean, because that's a pretty high level deal analysis of how to like think through it as well as feeling <laughs> what to offer each piece of that. You know, I, I, I did that all myself. I, I mean, I was, I've been involved in real estate for a while. My dad has 30 something properties that, that he's had for quite a while that I had a 30% ownership in and I've, I've kind of watched him do it for a while. So uh, but between that and, and the CPA work, I kind of just knew a little bit what to do and kind of flew by the seat of my pants for the rest of it. Oh, awesome. Okay. Uh, that's cool, Josh. Um, it sounds like it, but it sounds like there's some different track record in there, right? Like you're saying flying by the seat of your pants, but it's like, no, nah, I've been like a professional in this industry. I've watched somebody else like my dad do it. Those are pretty high actually learning tools that come into like knowing like what's going to feel right, look right into that. Um, a lot of times I think um, somebody can be in your type of position that you're in. And if they don't have somebody else, if they don't have your level of education or experience and they don't have somebody else to mentor them through that deal, a lot of times they're just agreeing to stuff and they don't really know what they should be agreeing to or not because they're just excited to be in real estate. Yeah, you know? Do you sure. ever see that as part of your, your profession where people end up with that kind of scenario? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you see it all the time where, well, especially if you get a deal where you can get a bunch of properties and the owner's willing to provide financing and you just get so excited, you accept anything, right? Um, so no, I, yeah, for sure. Especially new investors, they're, they're much more willing to accept bad terms instead of going back, looking at the deal, see what makes sense. I think the key is you have to be willing to walk away if it's not a bad deal. And, and that's how I went into that meeting. Um, if, if he wasn't willing to take close to what, what I'm structuring out here, then it just wasn't going to happen. And I wasn't going to get these 13 properties and I'd be okay. Did you already have that written out? I mean, sometimes they refer to that as your, your, your BATNA, right? I've like, did you already like know exactly what that number was? It's, I'm only going to accept things between this range and this range before I even walk into that meeting. Yeah. So I knew I, I wasn't going to budge on the down payment. I wasn't going to budge on him financing 90% of it. And I was not going to go above 350 total price and we ended up at 341. So. Wow. That's awesome, man. So how does that work? Um, so you guys agree on the price. What's the middle part of this deal? I mean, now there's yeah. a whole vetting process that actually happens that in, in between, you know, agreeing on the price and actually closing, right? Yeah. So that, and that was where I struggled. I, I didn't know if I wanted to get like an inspector to inspect every house, to get an appraiser on every house. Uh, so I kind of settled on having my, my dad lives in Colorado. I'm in Ohio. I, I flew my dad out. He's been in this business forever. He owned a lumber yard forever. So he knows houses inside and out. So me and him just went through all 13 properties. Um, of course, you're getting properties. I mean, the average price of these properties was like $34,000, right? So you're not going to get a perfect property. But I just wanted to make sure that there were no major expenses that I was missing. We didn't have roofs about to collapse. We didn't have furnaces about to go out. Um, so we went through all that. Uh, then we had to, we, on the seller side, he was very interested in, he was concerned with if I stopped paying, what would happen, right? Would, would he have to foreclose on me? So we had to structure the deal. He went to his attorney, he went back and forth there to make sure that everything was structured properly there. Um, but after all those I's were dotted and T's were crossed, it, it ended up being basically exactly what we agreed on. In that How did you solve that problem with him worrying about needing to foreclose on you? Yeah, so the, it was a lot of just the, the way the, the lawyer drew it up in the contract. Um, we, it, it's almost structured like a land contract uh, so that he does not have to 
he's not going to have to foreclose on me. Basically the, the properties revert back to him. If I miss a payment, um, we structured it where if I miss a payment, he has to send me a notice that gives me 14 days to catch up. If he, if I do not catch up, he takes back all 13 properties immediately. Oh, wow. So you gave him actually a huge piece of leverage. Exactly. Yeah. To be able to tell him, okay, that's your biggest problem. All right. I'm going to give you everything you could possibly want. Yep. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, that's any deal. I think you got to, you got to be either flexible on the terms of the price, right? Because you're not going to be able to get term ideal terms and ideal price somewhere along the lines. You got to be flexible. And of those two things of confirming deal terms and, and price, where do you find that you get the most leverage in the, in the deals that you work on? I said actually being like better at negotiating the terms because most people yeah. are, it's really easy for them to understand price and they just get their feet in the ground, landed on it. For sure. Yeah, no, I think uh, most people are stuck on price. This guy is a, he's a very wealthy, smart guy. So he was, uh, he was able to budge more on the price and, and some of the, the terms were non-negotiable to him, like figuring out a way to easily take them back if I stop paying. Um, but the majority of the time, yeah, I think if you tell people, you'll give them their price and they'll be very flexible on the terms. Yeah. Well, I think that's a happy, I've noticed that too. I don't know if you have, but like it's the wealthier people um, that I work with that I do deals with that are much more interested in the terms because it's Absolutely. like about how much of a pain in the ass is this going to create in my life? You know, exactly. I already have more money than I probably actually really have to have right now. Yep. But now you're going to cause a problem in my life. Now this is going to be something I don't want to deal with. Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, so in our area, there's no real property managers. So if you own properties, you're, you're taking care of them yourself. Right. So his biggest scenario was I want to get out of managing these properties. Yes. $350,000 cash would be nice, but that's that, essentially that's going to do nothing for me. So how can you solve my problem of getting these properties out of my hands? And we, we kind of approach it from there. Cool. And I think you definitely solved another problem too, is that he didn't have to think about reinvestment right away. Exactly. Yeah. yeah you give him a two taxes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. That's the biggest, uh, I got uh, investors that are working out of Houston, for example, that'll end up buying properties out there and then, um, you know, doing like a burst strategy with them where they buy them right. like all cash. Cause these guys have just tons of amounts of cash that they yeah. need to eat somewhere. So they buy all yeah. these properties cash. They'll like, renovate all of them and then have like 40 houses that they end up going. And they're like, cool. I'm totally happy with a 7% cap rate. But I, if you told me that I could resell and flip these properties, I probably wouldn't do it because just the pain of having to think, where am I going to reinvest in something that yep. I know can be like safe and I don't have to think about it is like a huge problem. Um, so yeah, there's definitely levels to that game. So tell me about the, um, like the, the end of this, this deal, you end up closing uh, on the properties obviously. And how's that transition work with taking over, you know, trying to manage those properties? Yeah. So he'd done a surprisingly good job. I think when I bought them, uh, nine of the 13 were rented out already. They had really good renters in, they were paying on time. So there was no issues there. Um, there were the four empty ones, the terms of the deal where he had to get them rent ready. Um, so I could take them over and, and, and have them ready to rent. I would say his idea of rent ready was a little different than mine. So I ended up going in and, and putting more money than I expected, but not a huge amount. Um, there was definitely a few hiccups, like one of them, right the, the day I took over the property, the, the water line failed and I had to pay $1,500 to get a water line fixed. Right. So, um, definitely some unexpected things that came up, but for the most part, it went pretty smooth. Um, he was very helpful. He wasn't like, okay, deal's done. They're all yours. Um, I could ask him questions, say, Hey, so-and-so said this, is that true about tenants and things like that? And He's uh, even to this day, I can still text him and, and ask him questions. So it's definitely helpful in that situation to have, I think, a seller that that's willing to 
keep that relationship and, and answer questions and, and, and help you where you can. Is there anything that tells you, I mean, despite from knowing the guy 10 years earlier and him reaching out, like, what are you looking for to be able to tell you that somebody has of like that quality of character? You know, cause yeah. that's really like, that's, that's fundamentally what happened, yeah. here, right? Yeah. But you made a judgment call on who this guy was. You did a bunch of research in there, which is right. smart into there, but there's a huge character piece in here. How did you determine that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I did get lucky because I knew him a little bit. Um, I, I, oh, that's I 10 don't, years ago, man. Right. Right. You're, you're coming back into a new person 10 years and right. you're making a new assessment and there's something <laughs> that happened in there. Whether sure. I, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, you know, it might be somebody right. conscious. You know? No, absolutely. I think that's, I, I think it, that's, you got to go to the meeting and, and, and something in you is either going to tell you you can trust them or you can't. Right. And I, I think if you get that feeling that, that you can't, I, I don't think you should ignore it in a deal this big. Right. I mean, that's if, if the relation, the ongoing relationship is crucial to you and you got to put some trust factor in them, I think you've got to trust whatever your, your instincts tell you there about that person. And how many meetings did you actually have before you guys agreed to close? Yeah. So we had, we had the initial meeting, um, where he made his offer on, on, so we had a phone, couple phone calls back and forth and I told him the 13 properties I was interested in. And then we had a meeting and he said, all right, here's the price I want for these 13 properties. So I took another two to three weeks, looked at everything, ran numbers, put that big binder together. We had another meeting. And at this point, he was kind of like, I said, hey, I want to have another meeting. And I remember his response was like, fine, but do you really think something's going to get done here? Because I don't want to waste my time if not. Because look, he's busy, right? So he didn't want me to waste his time. So um, I, I knew I had to go into that ready to show him something that could get the deal done. So we had that meeting. At that point, uh, we, we went back and forth to get to that final 341 number. Within that meeting, we met for probably two hours. Um, and then from there, it was kind of, I did my due diligence, he did his due diligence, and we had one final meeting to, to sign the paperwork and finalize everything. The three in-person meetings and a bunch of phone calls. I got six meetings approximately, right? Six meetings? In-person yeah. meetings, we had three. But yeah, yeah, but wouldn't you include phone calls? Phone calls, yeah, I would say probably calls, more than six. You could yeah. say like touch points, right? So I might right. be like six plus, right? Yeah, oh, easily, yeah. 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 I would guess 10 plus for sure. Yeah. See, that's what's awesome, man, because like that's one thing that we learned about like human psychology is actually the number of touch points we have with people is the higher our confidence levels get with that person. Sure. How we get known. That's why when you're going on dates, like you need, it doesn't matter the duration of the date. It's actually how many dates do you have? Right. actually matters anything else but the same thing right. happens to apply in business right it's like right. how comfortable do i feel with somebody and how many different scenarios can i see them in um so that's that's really cool i think i i just want to underscore that as like what i thought was really neat about your story into this as you know creating lots of different touch points with people yeah. um has like, gave you like a really good scope of like who is this guy because you had you interacted with them and and different scenarios that are going to show you different parts about his character. He can't always be a sales guy. He can't yeah. always be not, not 10 times. You right. Know? No, exactly. time, maybe two point. times. Yeah. You know, That's a good point. right. Yeah. Um, like we have a hiring policy as part of Royal legal solutions that we never hire anybody until we at least have three meetings with them. Yeah. That's because it's, it's usually through at least three that somebody tells you like, here's actually all the things that are wrong with me. And then we get to <laughs> say like, oh, okay, cool. Right. No, actually those things are wrong with everybody. That's totally right. fine. Become part of the family. Here we go. Right. Um, so neat as part of the, um, that, that to me, I would say that's probably, I would say out of your story, Josh, that's, that I would underscore, I would say that's my lesson learned, um, from listening to your story here today that it's like, you know, that the, the really important pieces is, you know, let's the, the frequency of the meetings, what's the number that I can get in with somebody to really determine what their character is yep. before I shake off of that. What, 
listening, you know, thinking back on, you know, all the things you talked about today, I know we talked about a lot of different topics, you know, what would be something that you would underline to say, Hey, you know, if you only took this out of this scenario that happened with me, I think this would be a good walk away item. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing I took from it was, um, how well it worked for me to be prepared to have done my homework. Like I'd, at multiple times I'd, I'd be showing him something and he'd be like, well, I'm impressed. You've done your homework here. So if you're going to deal with successful people, they don't want you to waste their time. Um, they're going to provide you financing. They want to know that you know what you're doing. So just going in there, even stuff as little as he'd start to say, well, I got the property taxes way down on these. You should go check them out. And I'd be like, well, I did. I saw that you got that one all the way down to $549. Right. And he'd be like, wow, you did do your homework. So just little things like that would it, to impress him and, and let him trust you. Cause as much as I wanted to trust him, that's hugely important. If he's going to provide the financing. He's got to have a huge trust in me. Right. So I think uh, when you're dealing with successful people, who's mostly who you're going to deal with when you're buying property from people, well, it depends, but a lot of people, what you'll deal with is successful people and they want to, they want to see that you know what you're doing, that you've done your homework. When you're working on larger deals, like you are with guys that are actually professionals, uh, what right. they do is like part of the portfolio for sure. Right. That's right. going to matter. But I think like in preparing the, the documentation and doing your research that you did, I think you showed him something that alleviated like a, a deep underlying concern of his, which is really just about like, if I give this guy the money, what am I going to have to deal with next? And exactly. it's like, well, he's that diligent on everything that he's doing at this end before he even gets into the deal. And this whole thing could blow up and it could be for nothing. Imagine how good this guy's going to be once he actually has his money in the deal. I don't right. need to worry about this. I can yep. just move forward and get rid of this and get this thing off my plate. Boom. He's going to do that. That's an emotional decision at that point. Exactly. Yep. Um, did you know that that like was his emotional state of being going into the negotiation that that's what he really wanted is he really wanted like this emotional burden off his plate and he just needed confidence yeah. that it was going to be off. Yeah, no. And he, he was very upfront about that, that I just didn't want to get rid of these properties or a headache for me. Um, just not because they're problem tenants, just, you know, I have tons of stuff going on. I don't need to deal with 13 tenants. Right. So yeah, I knew that it, the more I could appeal to, look, I'm going to get these off your plates. No, I'm not going to give you $460,000 cash like you originally wanted, but I'm going to take the headache away and you can rely on that every month that payment's going to be in your mailbox and you're never going to have to contact me about that. Yeah, so he, didn't do the owner, he didn't do the owner financing without all of the diligence. Right, being done, exactly. Right, to show For that sure. you're gonna, not going to let go down. For sure. That's really freaking cool, Josh. What an awesome story, man. Um, thanks for coming on the show today. Um, if anybody wants to uh, reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so the, the easiest way is probably still on my uh, CPA website, cpmfire.com. Um, if they want to check out some of the properties that, that we've done, I have a real estate one that is bowerlyenterprises.com. Just kind of get a feel for what these properties look like that you can get for $34,000. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the best place to find me. That's awesome, man. Um, well, of course, you know, I'm, I'm Scott Royal Smith, uh, the host of the Real Estate Nerds podcast. Today we had everybody, Josh, with us, uh, his best deal, an awesome story in a lot of ways about the importance of preparation and really listening to people and getting them what they want down to the emotional core level. Um, and the deal, which is really going to, how he's able to put together that big deal, in my opinion. Um, that with the owner financing in such awesome terms. Um, so uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, until then, be safe. We'll touch base with you soon. That's all for this best deal episode. And I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. When investments go good, they can go great. Your legendary best deal could be your next one. So keep at it. Thank you for joining us. And if you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in those sleeping masses for what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day, and I'll see you again soon.